opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third ADP in Conversation. I am Tabitha Kenlin, and I coordinate the audio description project for the American Council of the Blind. I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Roy Samuelson, and a fantastic panel of professionals working in the field of audio description in very interesting ways. Um, Roy, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and introduce us to our panel? So happy to be here, Tabitha. Thanks for the intro here. Uh, I am part of the Audio Description Network Alliance. I founded it a few years ago, and we focus on crediting audio description professionals of all kinds, particularly in film and TV. And we also have a podcast which showcases the contributions and the craft, skills, and perspectives of still underrepresented entertainment industry professionals serving the AD audience. So this particular interview checks all those boxes in the best way possible. Uh, we've got three guests. Uh, let's start off with uh, alphabetical order, if that's all right. Brandon, Colleen, then Krishna. Love to ask you to introduce yourselves, your your name, your job title and position, and uh, a brief, maybe a, about a minute or so uh, introduction about what you do. Uh, Brandon, could you start? Absolutely, yeah. So I am Brandon Cole. Uh, in terms of audio description, I have served as both a, a narrator and a uh, quality assurance, um, you know, kind of person, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, being involved in the in the audio description uh, industry has been a blast. It's it's been educational. It's been it's been awesome. Um, primarily, though, I'm actually a professional accessibility consultant working in the game industry. Uh, making games more accessible to the totally blind. And that actually has included audio description in a lot of my work as well. So good times. Uh, wonderful. Thank you. Colleen? Okay. Hello. Hi. Uh, is this, uh, can you hear me good? Yes. I, You're beautiful. Excellent. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> um, my name is Colleen Connor. Uh, and I am the director of audio description training retreats, ADTR fondly. Um, and I uh, teach um, audio description to uh, anyone who's interested. <laughs> um, but I, I teach in small classes. Um, and yeah, I, um, I've also done um, narration. I've done a lot of consulting for a lot of different things. Um, I've been on some panels with Roy. Roy and I are, are uh, friends as well as colleagues. Um, and yeah, I don't know. This is, it's one of those things where like, I do all things audio description, so I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a that's a great start. We're going to ask you more questions later, so we will we will get to know you better. Krishna, hi, I'm Krishna Washburn. Uh, I am the artistic director of Dark Room Ballet and uh, co-director of the film Telephone. Um, pretty much, what I do is access advocacy and education as it relates to audio description for dance specifically. I teach traditional blind dance technique to blind and visually impaired people using self audio description, which decenters sight and brings focus into internal sensation. And I also teach audio description for dance, which I think needs a somewhat different approach than audio description for other forms of art. And uh, my film telephone is kind of like a little philosophical statement on that, as well as an example of many different audio describers approaches to dance as an artistic medium. And Colleen and I are both in an article uh, in the New York Times today, uh, written by Siobhan Burke, uh, which is all about audio description that Colleen got Oh, that's great, Krista. Uh, we chopped off just a little bit, but I heard about the the New York Times article with you and Colleen about uh, about audio description. We'll have to get into that. Tabitha, do you want to take the, the first question? And maybe we could uh, shake things up a little bit. Start with Colleen, then Brandon, then Krishna for our for our order here. 
Oh, you're doing this to me on purpose because I, I told Roy that you know, I I can never remember what order I promised to go in. So he's testing me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I remember that I'm going to start with Colleen. Okay. Um, so yes, um, each of you has done some teaching or training or, um, you know, as Brandon mentioned, you know, work with, with accessibility. Um, so you, you've all got some experience kind of working with, with other people to, um, to do audio description or accessibility. And um, so in a way, this is kind of, um, the classic question because, um, you know, as a teacher, I know that we often learn from our students. Um, so kind of in that vein, what have you learned about your craft, um, about what you do, what, about what you teach through your interactions with other people and, you know, imparting your, your knowledge to them? So, yes, Colleen. Uh, yeah, so um, I have learned almost everything I know about professional audio description from my students or um, colleagues. Um, and that is one of the things that I'm passionate about because I want to stay up to date with what's currently going on in the industry. Um, I try to have sort of feelers in kind of all aspects of audio description. And I myself, um, unfortunately, don't have the technical uh, side I don't have a lot of the software knowledge and stuff like that. So I like to, you know, make sure that I have my engineering and recordist and, um, you know, studio kind of side of things. Um, if I have questions or I want to make sure that I'm teaching things that are current and up to date, um, if things are changing as far as companies um, or clients. So if you think of the larger companies like Disney or Netflix or um, the streaming services, I want to make sure that I know, um, you know, what's going on with live broadcast versus streaming and, um, you know, sort of, again, live and, and pre-recorded media, um, web content and education. Um, so I often am in conversation with either um, professionals or people who are in classes. Um, it's a reason I keep my class sizes small is so that um, we can all communicate and have enough time to have practice and feedback and discussions because this industry isn't particularly regulated um, and there isn't yet a degree or a certification for audio description. And so in all of the various roles, you know, I like people to have a really good foundation of all aspects of the industry. Um, I think the more you know about audio description, the better it makes you at your section of it. So you may be coming because you're interested in describing art, but I also want you to know what a narrator does and know what the writer does and know how to do all those things. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's sort of the most um, that I that I learn is kind of my um, keeping up to date besides like the best practices. And I, I want to make sure I'm updating everything to current. And that's um, sort of the thing that my students bring most often is, oh, you know, this software does this now or, oh, AI does this. Um, artificial intelligence is doing this. And, oh, someone's experimenting with alt text this way over here. Um, so that's besides just life stuff, uh, that's the things that I, that I get from my students for sure. Yeah. That sounds incredibly useful. I don't think one person could really keep up with all those, all of that stuff, um, by themselves. Yeah. Um, and I love the idea of you know, the small classes and having discussions so that everyone is really able to kind of, um, talk about, um, you know, like you say, you know, trends or what might be best practices and, and really just share their own experiences and, and thoughts on things. So it's great. Thank you. Um, I think, what did you say, Roy? Brandon is next. Totally randomly chosen. Okay. <laughs> I'm just proud of myself for remembering. I'll go next. Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure, why not? Uh, so 
the things that I've learned about audio description have come from largely from my work with Descriptive Video Works, who uh, initially reached out to me to learn about video games and how they might work on implementing audio description in games. And that led to me wanting to know more about audio description and wanting to get involved in the process um, as a consumer of audio description for a long time, basically my entire life. Um, I was extremely interested. And so I got involved and started learning about, you know, you know, the way audio description works, you know, working as a narrator, uh, doing some quality assurance for them. You know, so I understood the craft of audio description a little bit more. Also, some great conversations with people like Roy over there, um, who I was lucky, lucky enough to be introduced to as well. Um, when when I started working on audio description in games, I took the knowledge that I got from those, you know, from that work and brought it to game developers to, to basically try to explain to them what audio description was, how it could help them in their projects, uh, what it would mean for blind accessibility to have uh, something audio described in a video game. And I think the most successful example of that right now would probably be Mortal Kombat 1, uh, who uh, basically the, the fun fact about them is um, they did not intend to audio describe anything before I showed up. And now their entire cinematic story is audio described as well as the big moves in the game known as Fatal Blows and Fatalities, all audio described. Um, it's a fighting game, it's a lot, but the important thing is it's now audio described and that brings a whole new layer of understanding and immersion to the blind player. And I think uh, that is probably the the summation of, you know, all of the things that I've learned and all the things that I've been able to pass along to game developers over the years. That's really interesting. So do you work with um, the game developers as they're working on the game so that they can think about audio description as they, I mean, and I will say I have not played a video game since like Pac-Man. So. Sure, sure. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I get involved early, as, as early as possible. Um, mm. The I, I start in, in the level of development where almost nothing is built. And then mm. we work upward from there, establishing not just audio description, but accessibility features in general, just to make things playable to the blind, such as you know narration for all the, the menus in the game, and things mm. like that. Um, and of course, many other things, but it depends on the game itself. Um, but yeah, audio description has now become a part of that that work for me because I believe it's mm. it's very powerful and and in games we have now proven I think that it can be very effective. Yeah, oh, that's great. I, this is one thing that I've learned because um, you know I've only been uh, entered the the audio description world in January when I started this job at ACB, and one thing that I've just really loved hearing about is are these approaches that um, you know integrate accessibility and audio description from more or less the beginning rather than just tacking it on at the end as an afterthought, but making it a real integral part of the process. So okay, maybe I'll have to start playing video games. I don't know. Um, thank you, Brandon. And Krishna, your turn. And I have to admit, I have taken one of your, I've attended one of your sessions. Um, yes, so I, I'm interested to see your perspective because I certainly learned things by, by attending. So. I have learned so much from my students. Um, all of my teaching is done virtually and my students live all over the United States and all over the world. And uh, some of them have been studying with me for quite a long time. It's wonderful. I have my technique students. I have my audio description students. And then we also have times where we're all studying together. Um, what I've really learned is what draws other blind and visually impaired people to dance. Like, I think there's so many cultural stereotypes about what blind and visually impaired people should be interested in and like the reasons why we should be interested in something. And so many of us, we're all just kind of sitting on our own thinking, oh, I'm the only person who feels this way. And that really isn't true. <laughs> this is something that is so essential that blind and visually impaired people's interests are represented when we develop audio description for dance. It's really my technique students, the conversations that we have had about what we want to know what our experiences, what we want them to be when we go 
to dance performances that really helped me jumpstart my audio description for dance curriculum. Mm -hmm. And I have had, you know, professional audio describers come study audio description for dance with me and they'll be like, this is not what I was trained to do. And then it's so beautiful because then you have the voice of like 15 of my technique students saying, yeah, but I want that. Yeah. <laughs> For example, there is a, a hesitance to include any kinds of technical terms for audio description for dance, like mm -hmm. not to use any dance words and to use kind of like plain words instead mm -hmm. saying like somebody squats rather than does a plie or something like that well those are not similar anyway well, well yeah anyhow no, but <laughs> um but true but yes exactly this is the like, worst example i could think of <laughs> like oh you know the dancer spins as opposed mm -hmm. to does a pirouette or a pk turn mm -hmm. and when you are a dance person who goes to dance performances all the time whether you are a dancer yourself or not it's an in-group experience that people know these words and can talk about these things with one another and be part of the community conversation. When we don't include opportunities to learn that kind of vocabulary, blind and visually impaired people are kept out of the in-group and they don't want to be kept out of the in-group. They want to be part of dance people community with everybody else. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. I love everyone has this kind of common theme here of um of being, you know, including a lot of people in the process um throughout. Um I remember when I, I started taking uh tango classes a few years ago and I was um I was anxious that my low vision was going to be a problem. And so I was talking to my instructor about it and um, she said, not at all, because the, the whole point of well, the whole point, but, you know, a very important part of tango is that you are doing, you're reading your partner's body, um, that you are moving together and there isn't really a visual element to that. Um, so she said, you know, a lot of sighted women will actually close their eyes when they dance so that they can block out all of those visual distractions and just focus on what their body is doing and what their partner's body is doing. So I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> so took a little pressure off of me and um, I really loved it. I love that you're studying tango, Tabitha. That's oh, well, wonderful. I, I haven't done it since the pandemic, but um, I miss it. I would um, I'd love to get back into it. So. Come take ballet class. I, I did, yeah, I did ballet off and on as a kid and, and in college. So I, I might, I might have to, have to carve out some time for that. Yeah. Well, thank you. I could just um, spin out this question forever, but it's, it's Roy's turn. <laughs> oh, this is great. This is so exciting to hear from Colleen talking about uh, technology and there's no way to do everything. And, and Brandon with that, that involvement early on creating a new layer of immersion and Krishna, what, a, I mean, the, when people on the blindness spectrum, what they want from dance and addressing that and how that affects your training, the, the learning that all of you have gotten from either your students or your clients, the importance of language and words as it becomes part of the conversation is inclusion, which I think is a great segue to this question, which is, um, each of you, let's start with, uh, again, totally, totally random here. Let's start with Krishna, then Brandon, then Colleen. So uh, Krishna, if we could start, how has your message changed or evolved since you started uh, your your training? And, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the two different directions we can go in is, was it because culture uh, within your community changed? You've already briefly addressed how you learned something uh, that might be more effective as you grew your your business. Uh, is there a, is there something else that you could add to it, or or uh, maybe we could just focus on the culture side, uh, Krishna? Well, first of all, darkroom ballet is not a business. <laughs> darkroom ballet is an educational program. It's a pre-professional educational program for people. It's a really important distinction for me to make. Everything that I teach is tuition free. Um, and that's a commitment that I have. I am a grant supported program, so I'm not a business. 
Um, but what I have, like how I've changed as an artist, oh, I've changed so much. When I started out as like a gig dancer, like doing performance projects with different dance companies, the majority of the performances that I was in had no audio description, none. And that would mean that people like myself really would have no reason to have attended my performances that I was in. And I was meant to feel kind of like grateful that I was being given a job at mm -hmm. all. There was a lot of discrimination and a lot of, you know, difficulties that I faced just finding opportunities to work, even though I'm like, I'm a classically trained performer. And, and still it was really that hurdle, like, oh, but do we actually want to have like a blind person in this show? Like, is that what this show is going to be about now? Like that kind of stress level. Um, and also I did not get considerable support, like in rehearsals, like it was up to me to like beg and plead, like, can you please tell me what you're doing? <laughs> so that way I can prepare to be in this show. It was really laid on my own shoulders. Now that I am the teacher of pre-professional performers, my way of thinking is completely different. I, first of all, I would never ever agree to participate in any performance project without audio description, never. And I tell my students, hey, if you get hired for a gig and there's no audio description, make me yell at the person you work for until there is. Like, make that happen for us. And also, I let them know, you deserve better. You deserve to have the support you need. You deserve to have your tape on the floor. You deserve to have clear descriptions of what you're expected to do in this performance. You deserve all of that. You deserve that kind of support. And you deserve to have a teacher who takes the time to answer your questions at the end of every class and to be there for you throughout your professional work career. So I, I think that it really has come from this place of, I want that next generation to have it better than I did more than anything else. Mm. And that clarity that you're coming through with, it, it's, it's just a, a requirement. This is how it goes. I work with, you know, I, I'm sorry for using the word work. I, again, I so appreciate the clarification. I'd, I'd love to follow up with uh, Brandon and Colleen too about, you know, whether it's a, a organization, if, if that's an appropriate word, I, you said a uh, educational pre-professional uh, pre program. So in your program, Krishna, it sounds like that, that collaboration that you're passing on to your students is, it's going to continue to explode into the industry itself. Um, and I'd love to, to hear a little more from, from Brandon and Colleen on, on that side, but uh, uh, thank you for that. Uh, and again, apologies for using the word uh, business. I, I'm, I'm so thankful that you, you, you're so clear on that. Oh, uh, you're Brandon, good, Roy. Don't worry. <laughs> you. It's, it's great to know. And Brandon, um, again, the, uh, how your message has changed or evolved, was it because of the culture changed or you learned something that, that was more effective? And I'd uh, love to hear where you take this question. Yeah, I think, I think this might be interesting. So I, I want to take this, this question in two different directions. So one of them specifically where it relates to audio description is um, my message regarding audio description in the industry that I work in has changed because when I first started advocating for it in video games, um, there were no examples that I could go off of. And I think that is the way in which my message has changed. When I first started with this, I, I was just trying to convince uh, someone, you know, with no evidence, <laughs> you know, this could work. No, trust me, it could really. Um, but, uh, but I had no way of, of showing them that. There was nothing to show them except for linear media because there was no examples of audio description in video games at that time. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, uh, it's a lot easier to say, well, uh, so we did it with this game. So here you go, you know, have a listen, take a listen to how this sounds with audio description. And uh, that's, that's your proof that this can work. And let's go from there. Let's make it happen. Um, so that is, that is in, in, in terms of audio description, that's the way that uh, my message has shifted. But just to kind of take it in another direction too, just, just in general, 
uh, the the message of you know the message that I use when I approach this work in general uh, has also changed just because of the way the conversation around accessibility in video games has shifted, and uh, because of my own uh, growing reputation. Um, again, when I first started, it, it was me very much trying to sell myself as the the person who could do this for you, who could take your video game and make it accessible. Um, you know, and and now that I have a somewhat proven track record of being able to do that, uh, we're starting to get to a point where I'm, I'm lucky enough, and I acknowledge this is, this is, it's very lucky of me to be in this position, um, that developers are now coming to me and basically saying, help us, mm. help us do this. You know, I don't have to approach developers directly as much anymore. I, I can, I can kind of expect at, at some point, someone's going to, someone's going to realize that uh, accessibility is the right way to go. And, and, I, and they know who to come to, to help them do that. And that's me. <laughs> oh, congratulations. That's great. Colleen, uh, uh, the question of uh, wherever you want to take it, I'm, I'm so excited to hear your answer. Um, yes. So I have, this kind of relates to my journey with AD. Um, I will give a very <laughs> brief like summation but um i majored in musical theater and i have a certification from the london dramatic academy um that means that i um i actually have a bachelor of music degree so um my main musicianship is is voice um and dialects and things and then um acting and dance as well um I have other disabilities besides blindness. And so the challenge that I have um, is in that um, when you are, when you have a disability that is visible, um, it just, everyone thinks you have every disability ever, uh, which is not true. So. I, after college, auditioned my butt off everywhere. Um, and the same thing always happened, which was, Hi, sweetie. Hi, honey. Do you know where you are? Don't fall off the stage. And I was like, hi, I have a degree. And I'm, yeah, there's a number on my shirt. And I'm trying to learn the, the dance so I can audition can you just tell me about the dance? The piano is over here. You know, just the infantilizing or the just ignorance of, of, you know, not being exposed to people with disabilities. And so I never got any cast in anything. I couldn't get um, cast in anything except uh, community theater, which was, you know, lovely, but it is community theater. <laughs> um, and so I ended up working at a museum in Washington, D.C., because you have to make money somehow in America. Uh, so I was um, working at the museum and I said, don't museums have those audio tours, you know, like those cool audio tours? Um, and they said, yeah, we, we had someone write an audio tour, but it's never been recorded and um, anybody who's uh, wants to take the tour, like a blind person or whatever, they have to schedule it two weeks in advance so that we can make sure there's somebody who's going to read the script and go through the museum with them. And I said, hang on a second. I'm sorry. What? Um, and so I decided to rewrite and redesign the tour for the museum that I worked at. And um, I added tactile elements to it. And um, it got to a point where um, I would give tours uh, myself. And um, especially when someone came in with a disability, um, even deaf blindness, they were like, uh, this person wants to come in and, and they're, uh, they have a disability. And I'd be like, okay, what? And they're like, can you, can you, can you do a, can you do it? And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, just because people are so afraid of what they don't understand or they have this um, preconceived notion, um, like Krishna was talking about, just this um, 
looking at you, you know, oh, you have the skills, but for some reason it's all tainted with this, oh, you have disability. Um, and so I got into audio description through museum work. And again, I had graduated musical theater. I was in London, all kinds of stuff. I didn't know audio description existed until I was 21, um, which was a year after I had graduated school and it was 2011. And I learned that there was audio description for theater and for film. Well, I was in Washington, DC, which is one of the founding cities of audio description. And I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> how did I not know? Um, and I thought to myself, how many blind people don't know? Because I asked my rehab counselor, so the person who assists you with education or, or daily living tasks, orientation and mobility, eye doctors, nobody knew what this was. They did not know. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, so I decided to um, start finding anything to do with audio description that I could. And I ended up meeting um, a uh, sighted describer of theater in North Carolina. And she and I started discussing audio description and how I said, are there any blind teachers or is it all just consulting? Like somebody asks you to give feedback and that's it. Um, and she said, yeah. And I said, also nobody in the class got to practice. Like you need, this is an art learned by doing, like it's so nerve wracking. How could you just do like theory and not practice AD? And so um, we created um, something different. Um, so that's where audio description training retreats came from, was in-person trainings um, originally. And now I'm doing completely virtual training, um, not only for accessibility, but for, you know, cost and, because my students are international, um, it's a lot easier. Um, and I, I am very, very passionate about my message staying up to date. And as I mentioned before, learning from my students. And so I went from advocating for the awareness of audio description whatsoever like even knowing what this is, to saying, okay, this needs to be high quality audio description. The, you know, you need to have higher expectations of people with disabilities, especially your primary audience, which is blind and low vision. This was created and founded by blind people for other blind people with sighted allies. And then somehow, there's all these sighted people doing it and dictating it. So hang on a second. <laughs> and um, AD has kind of grown up organically all over the world in different places and with different standards. And there's sort of rules and best practices, but every project is different. And you kind of have to have the base of understanding, you know, the aspects of audio description and the writing of it in order to then expand into where you're gonna go with it, whether it's dance or video games, or, you know, I've started teaching and I started, you know, someone came to me with a video game that they were designing and said, hey, and I said, okay, this is, you know, absolutely, let's test it out, let's do this. And now I teach part of that. Um, I make sure video games and VR are in the curriculum. Um, there were interpreters and deafblind individuals. And I said, yeah, come on in, let's figure it out. Let's do some teaching. Let's, how do we incorporate this? Um, and most recently, um, I think due to the pandemic and different movements and just being able to communicate as, you know, communities on the internet, um, one of the things that I've taken up very passionately as well is increasing culturally competent audio description and representation within the industry. Um, as any of us can imagine, uh, the disability community is not well represented. Um, oftentimes people are, again, dictating to us 
what we should know, or we've internalized, you know, what everybody thinks about people with disabilities. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. It's like, kid, can you? What if you just had somebody assisting you? Like, what could you do this? Like, of course you could. Um, you're smart enough. You, you know, everything's there. It's just the opportunities have not been given. And it's similar for um, people of color and indigenous communities. And um, I want to make sure that I have a diverse student population and I specifically seek out and do scholarships for, you know, people who are queer, LGBTQ community, um, and black, brown, and indigenous folks. And it has been really, really rewarding to be able to learn from that experience and start to make part of my mission specifically high quality, culturally competent description that's in the writing of it and then the performance of it. If mm. there's, you know, if there's something specific to a culture, get the people from that culture to be involved and not just consultants. Again, with blindness or with anything else, just have them be the writers, be the people who are voicing it. Um, and as technology moves forward, all the roles of audio description are also different. And so my mission of, again, raising awareness of the profession of audio description and audio describers, come be an audio describer. I now am trying to differentiate between the various roles within live and pre-recorded media, because it is, you know, it, it, if you're just narrating, again, have that base of knowledge. Excellent. Do more than one, write and narrate. Fantastic. But it's in pre-recorded media and film, television, they're not, you know, not a lot of people are wearing all of the hats where they're recording themselves and editing themselves. And, uh, you know, there's, there's all these different people and no one works in a vacuum. And I think that that's part of what um, sighted people have a hard time grasping as our, our, all of our missions change. It's, we're starting to speak up and say, hey, um, I have a reputation or like, Hey, I, you've heard of me now, or like you, you know, that my students do good work. And so, you know, it, this is worth listening to. This is worth the, you know, raising quality and you can have higher expectations of people, but the learning curve and the, you know, lack of professional opportunity is what is so challenging is nothing is made for us as blind and low vision, you know, consumers, patrons of audio description. And so all of these new missions are cropping up as we, you know, it never stops. It's kind of, I just mm -hmm. keep expanding. Um, but yeah, I, um, I'll leave it there. <laughs> One of the things that I'm hearing about that, Heather's back to what uh, both Krishna and Brandon has talked about, uh, you know, specifically, we've talked about that describer catch-all term and how that has been limiting. And you you captured that so eloquently, along with the the cultural competency and the, you know, from your rewriting and redesigning the museum tour to where you're now giving those opportunities for people of color and all the other diversity areas to be able to have the opportunities to practice, to get the opportunities it's such an exciting question uh, that I think segues really well to to what Tabitha is going to ask everyone. Um, uh, Tabitha, hey, um, let's see. Let's see. One more official question from uh, from me and Roy, and then we will open it up um, to our audience. So, if you have been listening and you have questions, um, hang on just a minute, and then it'll be your turn. Um, so, so I think it's another kind of, um, multifaceted question. Um, so, uh, tell me if, if I go too fast, <laughs> you need to hear it again. Um, so different directions to go, um, you can pick the one that you love most, um, or try to tackle them all. Um, first we always like to give people a chance to kind of, um, be proud of, of what they've done. 
um, your Brandon mentioned um, earlier, uh, you know, luck involved in where he is, but um, I'm sure that's, that's true, but it also sounds like you've worked really hard, Brandon, so don't shortchange yourself. Um, so what is an accomplishment that you're proud of, um, particularly that people might not know about um, that might be kind of, um, you know, hidden or, or surprising um, is one option. Um, when you are speaking, instructing, or collaborating professionally, what's something you wish people knew about you, um, maybe about the way you work or, or your talent or um again, like maybe something kind of surprising or, and, or what do you want people to take away from working with or learning from you? Um, let's see. I'm trying to remember what order. I don't think Colleen has gone first yet. So Colleen, we'll go to you and then Brandon and then Krishna, if I can remember what I just said. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I always have trouble with things like this because to <laughs> me, it just sounds so braggadocious. I'm like, wow. Um, but one thing that I think happens a lot with um, ADTR is that people think that it's bigger than it is. Um, so uh, people will come to me and say, oh, you know, write this script. Uh, da, da, da. And I'm like, okay, I can put you in touch with some of my students, I can, you know, I get any manner of questions about pricing and, um, you know, all this kind of stuff. But the colleagues that I specifically choose to work with um, and the students I specifically choose to take on, um, it's just me. So ADTR is me. Um, I am in my apartment and I have a computer and I've lost pretty much all of my usable, usable vision um, in the process of becoming the director of ADTR. Um, so my colleague Jan has retired. And so I had to gain enough um, money in order to have an admin and in order to hire graduates and um, consultants. And I am... I am really, I want to pay people what they're worth. Audio description is a craft. It is not easy. Um, it involves a lot of things. And I, you know, with inflation and all kinds of crazy stuff, I really like to pay people what they're worth. Um, and so as I expand ADTR, I think one of the things that I find myself saying constantly, and it's something that I've, uh, Roy and I have discussed is kind of the, the imposter syndrome of stuff or mm -hmm. the feeling like, I am so sorry, I haven't launched this class yet. Like I knew I said I would, and I have curriculum, but like my health is just not there. Mm -hmm. And like, I currently, I don't have anybody that's another full-time, you know, with me where I can say, here's all the emails, knock this real quick, um, do this real quick. And so I'm trying to learn as I expand how best to delegate tasks while being able to um, pay people what they're worth when you're working on social security disability and trying to live in LA and, mm -hmm. you know, um, taking care of not only blindness and dealing with the challenges of that, but the other health um, and chronic things that I have and supporting other blind and low vision and disabled and, you know, underrepresented professionals and wanting to be there. I want to, that's me answering that email. I am really passionate about not a lot of automated stuff. And so there's only so much you can expand with that. And so I want I want to teach, um, and I think that what I would love people to know is that I I love each and every person that comes to me, especially abroad, or I love having conversations about audio description. I could talk about it all day, the nitty gritty like <laughs> details and nerdy stuff about words. Um, and it's just that I have to recognize that I am one person and 
I'm an individual who's um, trying to maintain this and do all of the small business um, aspects of it as well. And anyone who's blind and gone into their own, um, you know, program or their own education, you know, might know the challenges of applying for grants or, you know, doing your own taxes and understanding I can't make too much because social security disability in the U S or I have to, Mm -hmm. you know, balance this and this and not a lot of the software for Mm -hmm. being a business owner or organization, um, any companies that I've contacted, including Google, you know, the big ones that you would think would have time and money to invest in things. They are just shocked that a blind person has a job, much less that I'm trying to run a company (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm trying to start an education, um, you know, pathway. And so I think that's often my, um, my, kind of uh, chink in my armor is the balance between my confidence of knowing I have, I'm good at what I do and I'm good at working with other people and analyzing someone's talents and getting them in the right place, networking with the right people. Networking is huge. It's how I've gotten all of my support is former students um, or colleagues. And so um, that balance of confidence in what I have versus I can't walk today. Ah, what do I do? (laughs) And feeling so bad that you didn't get back to that one person who, you know, and you just don't know how someone feels about that on the other end of the internet, you know? So I think that's my, I don't know. (laughs) I'll leave it there. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a lot. Um, I I think, yeah, you should never have to apologize for only being one person. (laughs) Um, I think so so many of us have that. Because with audio description, you have to wear so many hats. There Mm -hmm. isn't this clear, I'm an engineer. You know, like it's not this clear moment. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something a lot of previous guests um, have said too about, you know, needing to, you know, to be a, a marketer and, and yeah, like do the taxes and wrestle with the the inaccessible software and respond to the emails and maintain the schedule. So yeah, um, it's, it's a lot. I mean, I just, I got tired just listening to all that. So, um, <laughs> so I am. I am time, time management is for when you're dead, right? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> Uh, self-care Colleen self-care <laughs> working on it okay it's a, it's a skill it is I mean, it's something that I've been trying to do as my eyes have gotten um you know I've, I've lost a lot of my eyesight and you know when I go into stores and now I always ask for assistance and I I have changed from um you know when I was first doing it I would go in and say I'm sorry I need your help and, you know, finally, I was like, that is a horrible reflection on me. Like, I should not apologize. And like, that's just not a good position to start from. Um, because I don't want to help someone infantilize me. And that is, that's just opening, like, a, you know, chances yeah. are, as you guys have said, you know, like, they're going to do that anyway. But let, So let's not give them extra, um, you know, ammunition for that. So I've tried to shift and just go up to someone and say, excuse me, could I ask for your assistance? Yep. This is what I need. And it's just, it, it's just, you know, little shifts in, in approach can, um, I think can help a little bit. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm veering off um, topic and I don't want to take time away from, um, I could talk about this stuff all day as well. Uh, Brandon, I believe I said it was your turn next. <laughs> yes. Yes. We got it right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I want to take a couple of, a uh, couple of these, uh, these questions. Uh, but first, I do want to say, yes, imposter syndrome is, uh, imposter syndrome is very, very real. Uh, it's something that I dealt with for many, many years. Um, being, you know, feeling good about um, taking credit is is a strangely difficult thing. Um, and and it's it's something that I'm still working on to this day, as, as, uh, as has been already pointed out <laughs> in this very conversation. Um, but I think uh, one of the things I will do 
is I will step up and I will answer the question about the accomplishment that I have made that people might not know about. And uh, so I'm going to take credit for something right now that I haven't actually done publicly yet. <laughs> so okay, I support this. I'm excited. Yeah, go for all it. All right, all right. <laughs> Woo! So, and you have about 11 uh, minutes left, Tabitha. Okay. Just so you know. <laughs> not surprised. Well, Thank I'll you. try not to take too long then. Okay. Um, so there is a wonderful woman. Uh, she goes by Genissary, and that's what she chooses to go by. She works in audio description now. Um, and uh, I first met her, heard of her through a project being run by someone else entirely called the Audio Described Games Project. And the idea behind this project was to provide uh, audio described versions of cutscenes from games that didn't have audio description natively. And so uh, the person that was running this project found her, I don't know how they found her, but um, they hired her basically to write an audio description for, uh, basically write some description for a cutscene from, from the God of War 2018 video game. And uh, she did. And then she also voiced it. And I happened to listen to the video they made as a result of that. And from the moment that I heard that, I knew that she not only had, I knew she had the it factor. She, she could write audio description. I knew she could. She didn't have any formal training yet, but I knew she could. And her, her voice is perfect for audio description as well. So it absolutely perfect. So I'm happy to say that I'm the one that pitched her to Descriptive Video Works and uh, therefore am sort of sort of the reason she has the job that she has now, where she is basically the, the lead on all of their game-related projects. She not only works to write uh, their audio description for games, but voices some of it too uh, for game-related projects, and she produces it, and she's just all over the place now. She's just doing all their game-related stuff, and uh, that's largely because of me, which is pretty cool and something that I haven't really taken a lot of credit for yet. She herself has told me, Brandon, yes, take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> this is your doing. Um, so so there you go. I've finally done it. Uh, I'm actually waiting for a very particular moment that's coming up soon um, to officially uh, do this. Uh, I, I plan on doing this really, really nice social media thread at a particular moment in time that is coming up. And that's going to be that's going to be where I publicly really, really publicly take credit. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so that's that. Um, and as far as the question of what do I want people to take away from uh, my, you know, when, when I talk to people, um, I think I am, again, lucky enough to have a particular talent where, uh, and this is, this is something that I've been told by multiple other people. Uh, apparently when I speak about accessibility uh, and about, you know, my passion for video games and, and how, you know, why I think video games should be made accessible and all, all these things, uh, my passion it becomes contagious, uh, is what I'm told by multiple people. And that that the thing is, that is the thing that I want people to take away. I, I want people to uh, become as passionate about this as I am. And because of that, want to pursue the idea of making their game accessible. Um, my success with selling uh, the idea of accessibility to developers may likely be because of this 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 thing that I do without even knowing that I'm doing it. And uh, um, I think that's I think that's what I want the takeaway to be. I I just I literally just flew back from a meeting with a developer uh, yesterday, and uh, I was told by one of them at the end of that meeting that they were quote on fire end quote <laughs> because they they were really excited about what we had talked about and what they wanted to do. And that's what I want. I want people to become as into this idea and willing to work on it as as I am, because that will lead to some great products and I think already has in some cases and will continue to do so. Yeah. I think that's where I'll leave it though. <laughs> well, that's great. And thank you for, for taking credit, <laughs> especially with some, you know, that's that's so great, just kind of, uh, you know, demonstration of how like, you know, supportive and, um, you know, like networking can sound like such a boring thing, but when you're, you know, supporting people's career and helping them, you know, do good things, then that's, that's great. So thank you. Um, okay, Krishna, and then um, we'll see if we have time for a question or two from our, our faithful fans. Thanks, Tabitha. I think that, you know, what I want people to take away from studying with me 
more than anything is what my own blind dance teacher gave to me, which is that understanding that what I create as an artist needs to be approached in a way that is unique based on my experience with the world, how I sense it, how I feel it in my body, but that does not make it any less than any other artist's expression. And that what being an artist really is, is two things. It's taking the time to understand like your own authentic artistic mission. And it's also that dedication to truly believing in practice and the model of growth in learning. Trusting that you can train your nervous system gradually over time, cultivating that relationship, that self-knowledge. Being a great dancer or a great audio describer, it doesn't come from magic. It can't happen in a week or a month or a year. It's an eternal pathway of infinite attempts, infinite ways of learning, infinite ways of thinking. And it also can't be done alone. There always needs to be support systems and especially somebody specifically there to support you. Something that I really want people to know about is darkroom ballet is not one person, it's not just me. It has never been just me. It is me and my administrator, Alejandra Ospina, who's also an audio describer and a disabled person herself and an incredible actor. She is the person who said to me early on in the pandemic, I am going to make you a website and I am going to support you to get your courses off the ground. And you can't say no to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it is because of her faith in what I was doing that I am here talking to all of you. Sometimes you just need one person to just come to you and say, I am here for you. I will help you make this happen. I was given that gift. It's important for me to acknowledge that always. And I hope that she's listening. I'm not sure if she is, but I would not be here talking to all of you and teaching the courses that I teach and working with the hundreds and hundreds of students that I have. If she had not said to me early on in the pandemic, what you're doing is important and you need help and I'm doing it for you. Even though you don't have a penny to your name, I'm doing it for you. And that's what I want people to know about Darkroom Ballet. Well, thank you so much. That's um, such a beautiful note to end on. I, I really, I think everyone can relate to that, that description of, of the artistic practice and um, infinite attempts <laughs> as we continue to, to grow um, in our, our describing and our advocacy and our teaching our training or dancing or writing are setting people metaphorically on fire um, outside of video games and literally on fire inside of video games. Um, uh, I've, I've heard some of the uh, the descriptions for uh, Mortal Kombat were, were quite lively. Um, so uh, very impressive work, all of you. And I'm afraid that 
um, we have one minute left, so <laughs> uh, we will have to, um, to, to wrap up without taking questions from the audience. I'm so sorry. Um, but I mean, I, I think that we would love to keep this conversation going. So, um, you know, you can always reach out to, uh, to me and, and Roy, and we can, uh, you know, try to put people in touch and keep everybody involved. We've, uh, we're recording this. It'll be available on uh, multiple platforms, so you can share with your friends. Um, Roy, any final thoughts? Yes. New York Times article is named Hear the Dance. Audio description comes of age. It was released on, I believe, 11-11-2023. It's so exciting to hear how each of you, Krishna and Colleen and Brandon, are leading not only your own group and organization, but others and all the people that you have taught. Thank you for sharing your collaborations with others and your own leadership. Thank you very much, everyone. And uh, don't miss the Audio Description Awards Gala Tuesday, the 14th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to adawardsgala.org for information on how to listen. And Brandon is actually one of the presenters. So um, lots lots of reasons to, to go. And thank you, yeah. everyone. <laughs> thank you, panelists. <laughs> thank you, hosts and um, ACB and everyone listening. Um, we'll catch you next time.